Welcome to episode 21 of Necronominom. We're your hosts, Jenna and Matt. Hello. This month, we're going to be talking about Wolf Creek, which is an Australian horror film that you may have heard of, and also the inspirations behind it. We are also going to talk about Wolf Creek 2 and Wolf Creek the series, because mm-hmm. we did a lot of watching this month. We did. I don't know if the series is uh, available here in the US at the I, moment. I believe it's only on Stan in Australia. Mm-hmm. So those of you listening in the United States, you might have to wait for it a little bit. Or elsewhere in the world as well, I assume. Wolf Creek, all of Wolf Creek, mm. was written and directed by Greg McLean. Mm-hmm. He's an Australian writer-director. Uh, you may know him from the movie Rogue. Yeah, another Australian horror film that uh, <laughs> you may have seen. Which is a terrific movie. <laughs> if you like crocodiles, which I do not. And Michael Barton. Uh, I don't know who that is. He was an alias. Right, right, right. Wolf Creek, the original, came out in 2005. Mm-hmm. Wolf Creek 2, 2013. And the series is very recent. It's actually right. this year or oh, last year. Sorry, 2016. Year. Yeah, mm-hmm. late last year. The soundtrack was composed by Francois Tetaz. Is that how it's pronounced? Ah, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, he did a great job on this. It's not oh, very yeah. noticeable, I think, during the film, which mm-hmm. is kind of how soundtracks are supposed to be. Where right. They add to the ambiance, but they're not, they don't take away from the film. That's how they traditionally. But when I listened yeah. to this uh, later on, mm. uh, he based it off of a funeral march. Right. It's very subdued. Um, there are lots of noises, like creaks and bells mm-hmm. and... Yeah, I recall that from, yeah. from watching the film. Right. But when you listen to it, it's not really a soundtrack that you can sit and listen to. Right. I was doing some work while I did it, so it was kind <laughs> of just background. It's ambience. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To go along with the film, it works perfectly. Yeah. Okay. Great. After I knew that it was based on a funeral march, when I listened to it, it's just a very slowed down version. Cool. Mm. Um, they all star John Jarrett as Mick Taylor. Uh, you'll know who that is immediately uh, if you've seen the films. He's very iconic. He's he's actually become quite a horror icon uh, from from Wolf Creek. Yeah. Also, he's uh, he's gotten a little too big for his britches, I think. No, I think <laughs> <laughs> he seems like an interesting guy. Yeah. Um, we've we've met him uh, on a couple of occasions, uh, and he was very friendly. Uh, he was until it. Uh, look, the reason I spoke to him was because I recognized him from from Wolf Creek because I mm. saw this film back when it came out. Right. Um, and I was like, oh, hey, cool. It's John Jarrett. And he's sitting alone at a desk. And mm. I feel kind of bad for him because it doesn't seem like anybody really cares and knows who he is. Right. So I went over and I said hi and we chatted to him for a little while. And mm-hmm. he was very pleasant. He kind of he came out and like yeah. stood with us. And yeah. Was, it was kind of a more casual mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. And I think we were there for the podcast and I asked him for a photo. Mm. And he was like, headshots are $30. I was yeah. like, it, and it kind of just made it a it little awkward more, after it was that. More casual than that. It, uh, he's he's just plying his trade. I know, I know. It just made it a bit I of know, an awkward it, exchange, and we were like, oh, "Cool, all right. Well, I guess we'll be going now." <laughs> created an awkward. I, I don't care. I don't need a headshot of John Jarrett. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he seems like a nice guy, and he uh, he to his credit, he's trying not to milk the role of Mick Taylor, and apparently he's been quite. Um, he's taken some convincing. To do more with, yeah, with, with that's the character, right. because he he said he doesn't want to be typecast. Uh, he's very proud. He said to to have become such an icon, mm-hmm. but he's also not interested in just doing just, that forever. Right, being a murderer forever. Correct, an on screen yeah. murderer because he does a lot of other horror films. He does. Yeah, he 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 said in an interview recently that he gets sent a lot of shit. 
Um, and <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, yeah, it takes him some time to sift through what he gets sent these days and, and figure out what he's going to do. He is friends with Quentin Tarantino. Yes. And he is in a lot of his films now. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, Quentin Tarantino is apparently a fan of Wolf Creek and therefore like, became a fan of John Jarrett. Uh, the first film also stars Cassandra McGrath as Liz, uh, Kesty Marassi as Christy, Mm-hmm. Nathan Phillips as Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really have that many other people in no, it. it. Towards no. the start, it does. It has kind of you know a big party scene and some other. Yeah, but they're not. Uh, once I mean, they leave, uh, you Perth, only see them for a few seconds. You never get their names. Right. Once you leave, once they leave Perth, there's not that many other people in it at all. Yeah. The premise of the first film mm. is that three backpackers, uh, Liz, Christy, and Ben, are stranded in the outback. And are helped by a seemingly friendly local who offers them to give them a ride and fix their car. Mm-hmm. But it turns out to be Mick Taylor, the murderous psychopath. <laughs> yes. Who takes them back to his house or his shed. It's like a mine, I think. It's yeah, yeah, mine. right. Yeah, like, but he's with like sheds and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's when they learn that his intentions are not. Right. So good. Everything's going fine until they wake up and realize that they're, they've been restrained, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. I, I think it's a very good movie. I really enjoy it. I, I definitely enjoyed the first one a lot. Mm-hmm. But I think it could be a little too much for people who aren't who aren't used to horror movies, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's quite intense in parts. Yeah, it's a little heavy. Yeah, like, as in... Because it's very realistic horror. Mm-hmm. It's not like a creature film. It's not like a monster. It's not even gory, really. It's a little bit gory, mm-hmm. but that, that's not what it, it's about. The, the, re, the reason is that it's he is really, really mean and awful. <laughs> and but he's not. Scary. He's actually very nice and friendly. But, he, but, his, but he's his, got an evil side. Yeah, but his, his like what he does to them is kind of what makes it scary. Yeah, like, he likes to play with his victims. Right. It, it's mostly his um, his jokes and, and his uh, I guess His laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently John Jarrett spent a long time perfecting that laugh for mm-hmm. the character of Mick. It's good. It's a good laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's actually a method actor mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he stayed in character during like between shots, right? Uh, which I guess is a bit jarring for people when. Um... Sure, yeah, because <laughs> it was a very small, small cast. Right. I, I remember <laughs> I read in an interview that he said that it's not like he goes home and he's still Mick Taylor when he sees his wife. Like he, he he's not he's not like that. Mm-hmm. But when he's on set, he tries to stay in Mick Taylor mode. Yeah. And he um he said there's a quote in an interview that said he was um he says I winked at a woman and I wouldn't do that. I was walking along the street in Gola, and a really gorgeous-looking woman walked up the hill, and I realized, shit, Mick just winked at that woman. It wasn't me. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> well, you can tell he doesn't have the persona of Mick because he called her a woman and not a bird or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, or a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a rumor that uh, he stopped showering in preparation for the film. 
Um, but he, he did live in the outback for a few weeks before. Right. He didn't actually stop showering. He stopped washing his arms. And he said that was because... <laughs> Why do you shower and not wash your arms? Well, they applied tattoos to him every morning that took hours oh, okay. and hours. So he thought, if I don't wash my arms, I'll look more rugged and they will stay. And I won't have to sit in makeup. That's fair. Mm. I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the film was shot chronologically. So they just went from start to finish. Yeah. 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 It was mostly on handheld cameras, mm -hmm. but it doesn't really feel, you know, there's some some films like um, Cloverfield, say, where it's all shaky or uh, Blair Witch. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like, feel that, like at that. All. No. no, not at all. Like, I, I wouldn't have guessed that it was. You can no. kind of tell um, there's some scenes where the backpackers are, are like taking selfies, kind of. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that stuff's very odd. Like, yeah. Yeah, but. And there's one of Ben where he takes of himself at the petrol station yes. that I think was just him improvising on the spot yeah, just, and they decided to leave like it in. like an old style camcorder yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I, I didn't mm -hmm. actually even notice that it was kind of, you know, handheld. Right. Kind of, no, well, it's not found footage, but like just the fact that it's not, it's very steady and well mm -hmm. shot. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. like Vomitron <laughs> kind of handheld camera yeah. work. And the, the party scene that you spoke about, um, mm. that actually just was a 45 minute party that they just said, you know, go have fun, whatever, no, they just Im it. improvise some conversation and then, and then just filmed it. Same with, uh, around the campfire. Right. They just, those were just normal conversations. That's cool. I think they tried a couple on script and then they said, okay, now each of you kind of take, lead the conversation. And right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, it does make it feel more real. Right. Yeah. It's more natural. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. Cause if you, uh. It's easier to to be in character when you're saying things that are, that feel more comfortable. Kind mm -hmm. of thing. Like if you make it up, like you say it how you would say it, and you're less likely to stumble over it, kind of thing. Right, and it's it's a more realistic conversation than reading off a script. What? Right, right. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at Star Wars. That's not <laughs> a natural conversation <laughs> those people are having. The first film in particular, it all felt very real. It was it was really well done. I felt. Yeah. There were some interesting tidbits about the film. Mm -hmm. The first night that the film crew went to Wolf Creek just to get shots of the crater. Right. They camped out for the night just outside. Right. And a stranger who resembled Mick Taylor <laughs> in a beat up truck came to investigate what they were doing. Wow, that's creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and they got a little bit freaked out and decided to drive for a couple of hours and then camp out there. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Also... There, um, Wolf Creek hadn't had rain for, I think, something like 10 years previously right. until the night that they decided to film. So it, it adds a bit to the eeriness. That it's raining. Yeah. Mm. But that was, they were not prepared for that. <laughs> right. And they had to kind of rewrite some things around it. That's cool. That's interesting. Mm. The, where Mick is set up, uh, the mine there, uh, was actually the site of a real murder. Like an actual murder took place at the, at the mine. Yeah, the townsfolk thought that it was like a documentary on that murder. Mm -hmm. And so I think they were a little upset. Yeah, I think they were going to protest the, at some point until, yeah. they, until they found out that it wasn't about that. It was, yeah, something else. It's a weird coincidence. Mm -hmm. Mick collects things from his victims. Mm -hmm. A lot of serial killers do that. Kind yeah. of like how Dexter had his blood slides. Mick would take some of their camping equipment or pictures or things that they had on them. Yeah, like mementos. Well, all of those things that they used in the film belonged to the writer-director McLean's family and friends. Well, that's not weird. It's not, yeah. <laughs> it's a little weird. Yeah. It's cool. I mean, I'd be happy with it, but I wonder if he had some family that was like, oh, 
Oh, I guess Thanks I'm, for putting me in yeah, the film, Yeah, I'm a I guess. victim. Yeah. <laughs> I assume he asked beforehand. And <laughs> yeah. um, we mentioned John Jarrett kind of gets into the role uh, and he's a, you know, a bit of a method actor. Uh, and in particular, there was one scene in the film where even the director got a little concerned that he'd gone, gone too far into the role. Is that right? There's one scene where Mick has Christy tied up in the barn. Mm. And uh, the director wanted it to be like a full a shot from through the window from the other character's point of view right um of the full barn in mm-hmm. shot so that meant all of the cast and crew had to leave the barn except for just the two actors playing mick and christy right and she's tied up and she's screaming mm. and like covered in dirt and blood mm. and mick is kind of torturing her right and it got so realistic for them yeah, well, he, he he's very intense. In exactly, yeah. yeah. And it got so realistic that McLean had to run in the room and stop because he thought Jarrett had taken he, it too far. He got worried that, yeah, <laughs> maybe he was going to keep going or something. <laughs> I don't know. That scene in particular, I think, is probably the most intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, uh, there's a few others, but yeah. It's kind of a very similar story, I think, to House of a Thousand Corpses, except right. less goofy. Yeah, I, I agree. It's actually scarier because it's like, as I said before, it's quite realistic the way that it's done and the, the performances are very good and mm-hmm. it's it's it gets a little silly uh not silly but like over the top towards the end but it doesn't go too far that that you don't think well it's not plausible like it, it yep. all seems fairly plausible it does and that is where i have a problem with wolf creek 2 yeah yeah so i i, I just wanted to say first i really enjoyed the first one i hadn't seen it before mm-hmm. uh which is unusual considering I'm from Australia and it's a horror movie and I would love horror movies, but I just, I'd never watched it. Um, and I, and I really enjoyed it and I was looking forward to the others. Mm-hmm. Wolf Creek 2 is not bad. No. That's not what I meant to say. I just think I have a problem with the silliness of it. Like it gets yes. a little bit, it the, kind of turns into a Wile E. Coyote Roadrunner thing. The tone was so different. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whether if it's just because we watched them one after the other, and I hadn't seen the first one, that when it got to the second one, I was like, "What? Like the same people made this?" Mick turns into a cartoon in this. It's like what happened to Freddy Krueger, like where he kind of became more of a joke and, a, and more about one-liners and 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 goofy creative things right. that he did than a kind of realistic, scary killer. His mo is like. I assist backpackers, I take them back, and I kill them. Right. And he seems to do that for everyone. He's quite meticulous and mm-hmm. careful, and mm-hmm. it seems like he doesn't take a whole lot of risks. And... Right. And then in the second one, he just kills everyone. Well, there is a point in the first one towards the end where he he kills the the, the driver who stops to pick Christy up. Yes. Right? And so and that, that kind of... That is how the whole second one is. The tone of that section of the first one is, right. is how the second one... Right. Everyone who in. comes into shot gets killed. Yeah, he's just killing everybody. Right. The body count actually goes from three to seven in the second movie. <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, this, to, the cast of the second one, uh, apart from Mick, is completely different. Uh, apart from Mick. Apart from John Jarrett. <laughs> <laughs> We've got John Jarrett again as Mick Taylor. Ryan Kaur as Paul Hammersmith. He's actually not a... Uh, a backpacker in this he's british but i it seems like he's kind of a local almost it does start with two german backpackers right yeah yeah um and he is the person who tries to help 
one of them. Right. He he becomes the protagonist. Yes. Uh, but I, I just feel when it gets to him, the movie just takes off. That is when, mm. like, nowhere is safe. And it, <laughs> yeah. through the entirety of Western Australia, Mick can find you. <laughs> yeah. So the two Germans, uh, Shannon Ashlin and Philippe Klaus, uh, Katerina and Rutger. Rutger is a great name. <laughs> <laughs> Originally, this film was meant to have more of a backstory from Mick, mm. but they scrapped it. I don't know if they wanted to wait until the series or they just felt it didn't fit in this and decided we'll put it in the series instead. Mm. Um, because you do get a little bit of a backstory for him in the series. Yeah. But in Wolf Creek 2, it is more of just a a chase and kill kind yeah, of film. Yeah, it's like, it's non-stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess that's my biggest issue with it was it, his home base wasn't in it at all. He wasn't being careful. He like murders police officers at the very beginning. Yep, leaves them on the side of the leaves road. Leaves them on the side of the road, leaves evidence... Like, he just doesn't seem yep. concerned at all. And it's more about kind of goofy hijinks. And, like, there's some quite elaborate scenes in it of, like, destruction mm-hmm. that just don't, didn't, I don't know, they just didn't fit with the with the, the realism of the first one. Like, there's no way this guy didn't get caught in the second one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... Blatant. Well, he doesn't get caught because he just kills everyone. On- <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's, if you see him, he kills you. Yeah. yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. I felt like it went too far. I enjoyed it. I did too. It just it just didn't fit with the first mm-hmm, film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the miniseries did a better job of taking you back to original yeah, Mick. I really in enjoyed a way. the miniseries. In the miniseries... An American family on vacation in Australia encounters Mick, and things don't go very well for them. Their daughter survives, and she tries to turn the tables on him by hunting him down. There are a lot more characters in this, but as for the main characters, it is John Jarrett again as Mick. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lucy Fry, who is an Australian actress playing an American, Uh, she plays Eve, the daughter. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there's Dustin Clare, who plays the detective, Sullivan Hill, who investigates the case and tries to find Eve's family's killer. Yeah, I really enjoyed the series. Um, maybe, I might have even liked it more than the than the first film in the end. Um, the first episode, I thought, was a bit cheesy. Mm-hmm. The way that they kind of, they encounter Mick. And, I don't know, that whole thing was quite cheesy and i was like oh no and because it was clear that they didn't have a huge budget like in the 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 thing in the second one was it was so elaborate and over the top that it was clear that they had a bunch of money and, mm-hmm. and it's very much the opposite in the series and i think the first episode suffered a bit because of that because they tried to do too much but the whole rest of the series i thought was excellent and because it was it was a more personal story it was more realistic mm-hmm. and i guess i mean there were still some over-the-top things, like, you know, everybody in the world is just trying to kill her. and Yeah. Like, everywhere they did, she goes, there's someone trying of, to murder her. They portrayed like, Western and Northern Australians as just dirty, rapist <laughs> scum. Yeah, yeah but it, it's a horror movie, and so that's fine. Like, it's it's mm-hmm. if they'd set it in, you know, like, kind of, you know, the out-redneck <laughs> America, it would have been the same. Like, everybody's a hillbilly trying yeah. to murder you. Like, it, it, it worked. Right. The only issue that I had with this show, mm-hmm, I know what you're gonna say. and this is a big issue because it was making me very angry. Mm. It starts out in Darwin, mm-hmm. and then 
Now, we know Mick. We don't know where his mine is, but no. we do know that it is somewhere within a few hours of Wolf Creek. Right. Whichever direction that is, the distance from Wolf Creek to Darwin is somewhere between 14 and 18 hours. Hmm. So he drove up to murder her family in Darwin, hmm. went back to his residence somewhere near Wolf Creek. Right. And then starts chasing her somewhere in Darwin again. Yeah. They literally... Like, they. They cover most of the country. Exactly. In, like, the middle of Australia in now, this. It moves each, from, like... Each episode is in, like, a different state. <laughs> and now, when I say state, for you Americans, mm. Australia, the mainland of Australia has six. And they are very, very far apart. Right. And the ones that these take place in only have maybe one or two main roads. So, I, I mean, it is sort of likely, I guess, mm. that if you are stopped on the side of the road camping and people are looking for you, maybe if you stay there for days and days, <laughs> somebody's going to find you. Yeah. But these, I mean, the Mick and Eve and then, the, you know, the cop and the series of other people looking for each other somehow always seem to run into each other. Yeah. Somewhere that is at least 20 hours away. Yeah. And with like... Australia is huge <laughs> and I mean it, it is underpopulated in those areas so it's not that there's not like there's roads everywhere so it, it's like it's not as implausible as it sounds but there were some times where we would both look at each other and be like really these guys show up there now I kept looking it up like I know that's far but let me see how far that is to drive because the cop would go back home to Darwin yeah. and then he would drive out to South Australia yeah and then he would drive back home <laughs> and, and then, then two days later he's in Wolf be Creek, in, or... in Wolf Creek. Yeah. and then <laughs> like they're in Queensland at one point they were all over mm. the country yeah it got a little I mean look you could argue it's feasible it's just that there's a lot of coincidences that like because yeah there's there's secondary characters who show up mm -hmm. in places that kind of coincidentally and it's like running out of running out of uh coincidence points here there is one thing at the very end i will not say what it is but it pissed me off so 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 much oh right uh, yeah i can't it's just, I know what it is it's too coincidental yeah actually that that is the that's the biggest one <laughs> that was when yeah but I mean, look, I was willing to accept it because the show was good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. But yes, you're right. The the Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> if you've seen it, you can probably figure out what we're talking about. Yeah. And if you haven't, you should really go watch it. Oh, yeah, it's it's, very it's good. only eight episodes. Yeah. Um very good. Yeah, it was it was excellent. Better than Wolf Creek 2, in my opinion. And they do have plans for a second series. Oh good. Before we talk about the background and the inspiration behind the Wolf Creek series, we'd like to talk about our good friends at TeePublic. And if you go to multiplenerdgasm.com slash merch, you can check out some of our shirts. They, they produce our merchandise for us. But they also produce a bunch of awesome t-shirts uh, for nerdy films and, and TV shows. And uh, there'll be some Wolf Creek shirts that we'll add to the mm -hmm. store um there are lots of horror movies on there yeah tons and tons of stuff we we kind of curate a collection on our merch store so check it out and uh, if you if you go through our link um they'll know that we sent you and they'll support the show it's multiplenerdgasm.com slash merch and you can also go and follow us on uh twitter at mnerdgasm mm -hmm. and instagram at multiplenerdgasm mm -hmm. uh facebook facebook.com slash multiplenerdgasm and you should go listen to the Multiple Nerdgasm podcast. It comes out once a week. 
Please do. What is Wolf Creek based on? This is actually, this has been a particularly interesting one for me. Mm-hmm. Figuring, learning about the, the kind of inspiration behind it. Um, first of all, we should talk about what Wolf Creek is. Because the film's called that, uh, and it shows up uh, in in all of the the incarnations in the first film, the second film, and the miniseries. Um, the Wolf Creek crater is is kind of featured. Wolf Creek is actually it, it's a, a lake or a creek um, that is near the Wolf Creek crater. The crater itself, uh, the full name is Wolf Creek Meteorite Crater National Park, um, and it is a meteorite impact mark. From where a you know a meteorite came from space and smashed into Earth, uh, it was discovered during an aerial survey in 1947, and they investigated it uh, by foot a few months later. Uh, it's named after the creek Wolf Creek, which is named after Robert Wolf, a prospector and store owner. Um, he established the town of Halls Creek during the gold rush in Australia, so it's named after him. It's actually spelled Wolf with an E at the end, W O L F E. So, yeah, the film doesn't have the E. Correct. Yeah. It it looks like a really cool park. Oh yeah. But it is so far from anything. It's very remote. And that's like that it took them they saw it by plane and then they're like, "Oh, we'll have a look at that later, I guess, because mm-hmm. they had to get there." The local Aboriginal people call it Kandimalmal. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. <laughs> they're probably not. <laughs> um they have several legends about it. One of them says that it's a a mark left by the emergence of a rainbow serpent during the creation of of the land. Um, and another legend says that the crescent moon and the evening star came close together, but the star, the evening star, got too hot, and so it crashed into the earth, causing a huge explosion and a cloud of dust. And, and all the tribes were frightened and um, stayed away from the place for a long time before they investigated. Um, and that one's interesting because it kind of indicates that they may have witnessed the moment when the meteorite crashed into the earth and then kind of passed the story on verbally uh, you know, down hmm. to to today when when they tell the story of of the crescent moon and the evening star. Right. Wolf Creek Crater is the second most obvious meteorite crater on Earth. What it, is the first? The most obvious is the Barringer Crater in Arizona. Okay. Which we went past but didn't go to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, when we were touring the U.S. We mentioned that what is scary about this movie is that it's something that could actually happen. Yeah. And what people may not know is that it is something that actually happened Yeah, in Australia. More um, than once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you want to bring us through the case of Bradley John Murdoch, and then I will talk us through Ivan Milat? Absolutely. All right. One of the main cases that Wolf Creek was based on is the case of Bradley John Murdoch. On the 14th of July in 2001, there were two British backpackers, Joanne Rachel Lee and Peter Falconio, and they were traveling from Alice Springs to Darwin in an orange combi van that they'd bought. It was nighttime, and they noticed that there was a car approaching behind them from the headlights. Uh, and so Peter apparently slowed down because he didn't want to hold up the traffic and also didn't particularly want someone sitting so close behind him. So he slowed down to let the, the person pass. As the car came past, the driver had his interior light on it, and he waved them for them to pull over. And he was pointing at the back of their van, indicating there was some kind of problem. So they stopped. Uh, and then the, the gentleman pulled over, got out, and he and Peter spoke for a moment. Peter came back and said, apparently there's something wrong with the car, and this guy wants to help, and asked Joanne if she could rev the engine while he and the, the stranger inspected the, the back of the car. So they went around to the back. Uh, she revved the engine a couple of times. Then she heard a loud bang, and then suddenly the stranger came around to the front of the car with a gun, 
forced her out of the car, tied her hands and feet. Uh, well, he tried to tie her feet together. Apparently she was kicking so much that she couldn't. Uh, put a sack on her head, took her, put her in the back of his truck, and then disappeared to presumably do something with the body of Peter Falcone that she assumed he had shot. She panicked, uh, managed to get out of the back of his truck and run off into the bush uh, where she hid herself for five hours uh, as she heard this man hunting for her. When I heard this, I wondered how she got out of the back of the truck. But then when I saw the actual truck, it's just covered in canvas. It's a can- Yeah, it's like a, like a, we call it a ute in Australia. It's like a, like a flat back with a, and mm-hmm. this one had a custom, it's actually custom, which is one of the ways that they caught him was because they spoke to the person who built it. Right. And he said, yeah, that's a custom thing that I built for that guy. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was like a canvas cover that she managed to crawl away out of and run off. And, like, she hid for five hours. Um, he, the killer, looked for her for a long time, couldn't find her. She heard one car leave. Then she heard the killer return on foot, which luckily she was smart enough to stay hidden. Uh, and then she heard the other car leave. And after some time, she was brave enough to approach the road um, she let a bunch of cars go past because she was scared that the killer might come back in some other vehicle. Yep. Uh, and eventually when she saw a road train, like a big semi-trailer, she ran out, flagged them down, and they they rescued her. Mm-hmm. They do parody a lot of this in Wolf Creek 2. It's definitely uh, a major influence you can, you can see. Mm-hmm. A lot of the facts of that case show up in Wolf Creek, mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of them. Years later, in 2003, so two years after it happened, mm-hmm. um, the stranger was identified through a a very long investigation as a man called Bradley John Murdoch. Um, He's a mechanic, and he's originally from Broome in Western Australia. They caught him because he had been arrested for the abduction and sexual assault of a mother and her 12-year-old daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, But he wasn't convicted because there wasn't enough evidence. However, they caught him, and then the Northern Territory Police picked him straight up, and then he was tried for the murder of Peter Falconio. And he was found guilty, and he's now currently in prison in darwin uh, i think in 2032 he's eligible he's eligible for parole okay uh, but he's he's not getting out until then at the very least right. he's, he's serving a life sentence mm-hmm. um he's lodged several appeals because he says he didn't do it uh he maintains his innocence he says he didn't even travel on the stewart highway that night he drove to darwin from alice springs via tanami road which is the road that wolf creek crater is on right i wonder if that's why they chose that location because it is remote and mm. because it tied in with this case and was right. a, a uh a destination yeah that i guess backpackers actually, would be going to it's not a it's a very indirect route to get from alice if you look on a map to get to alice right, spring so, from alice springs to darwin to go that way is seems odd to me mm-hmm. um so i guess that's probably why the police didn't believe him <laughs> but yeah um there are other things about the case that are a little strange and over the years, they've encouraged people to come up with their kind of theories and and, and be a bit sceptical of things. Uh, Falconia's body was never found. All they found, the only evidence they found of him and his the, the murder at all, was a pool of blood on the road where the crime happened. Uh, and that's it. There's no other sign of, of him or his body. Um, the police only found Rachel Lee... Rachel Lee's? That's not her name. Joanne Lee's. (laughs) The police only found Joanne Lee's footprints at the scene of the crime. They didn't find anybody else's, which sounds odd. But when she was asked about it uh, in an interview, she said that the ground was very thick with branches and leaves. And they actually only found 
a couple of her footprints, and that was in the spot where she'd hidden, and she was there for a very long time. So it's not un. She said it's not unusual, and the police don't think it's unusual. It's just that it sounds odd if you don't know about the case. Um, but another odd thing is that the there was no blood at all found on the van, which because the assumption is that he, the killer, shot Falconio behind the van. So you would think there would be some some evidence right. uh, left on the van, but there isn't. Maybe he cleaned it off. Maybe he wasn't standing close to the van. Like we may never know. Um, and another thing that people found suspicious was that um, Joanne had Murdoch's blood on her shirt, which obviously ties him to the crime. But also, it's raised the question of why was he bleeding, and mm-hmm. why was why was there not any of Peter's blood on her? Um, she, when questioned on it. She, obviously, she doesn't remember very much. It was very traumatic, but she thinks she probably kicked him and may have injured him when he was trying to tie her up or I mean, something. he could have already had an injury. There's a, yeah, there's a lot of infinite possibilities, but it's just one of those things that people have kind of latched onto. And because of all these questions and gaps, um, the people have come with a lot of theories. Uh, for example, that uh, the theory that Joanna Lees murdered Peter Falconio has come up, and she's been directly questioned about that and denied it. Mm-hmm. Um there's another theory that Peter Falconia may have faked his own death because apparently when he was working in Sydney, he paid tax incorrectly and ended up owing the Australian government between three and $5,000, which, I mean, come on, it's not right. a lot of money. Okay. <laughs> but then people think, oh, maybe he faked his own death to get out of that. <laughs> Seems a little far-fetched. Uh, and then the other one, the other theory uh, that has a bit of traction because, because there's some witnesses that say that they saw something like this happen is that Joanna Lee's hired the killer uh, to to kill okay. Peter Falconio. Um, and there's a apparently a petrol station attendant who claims that he saw her talking to a man that fits the description. And blah, 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 blah. But it's all hearsay. And the police have dismissed all of that. And so has she. The police believe Murdoch is guilty. She believes Murdoch is guilty. And they're just holding out the hope that one day he will cave in and reveal the location of Peter Falconia's body because no one knows where it is. Yeah. It's gone. I mean, it's a it's a very big country. Oh, yeah. It could be anywhere. It could be literally anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but another point of interest with the film in particular, uh, the film came out in 2005. Um, Murdoch had been arrested in 2003 and the whole thing was kind of still ongoing at the time the film came out. So they suppressed the release a little bit in the Northern Territory. They delayed it because they were worried that it would influence... Um, people and in particular maybe the jury uh if they saw the film right they would maybe you know they, they might find out things or be influenced so, mm. Mm. so pretty, pretty interesting so yeah it's a very interesting case and yeah if if you're interested she wrote a book uh joanne lee's wrote a book about it there's been a number of books written about it and there's a lot of websites with conspiracy theories and and information about the case. And it's kind of still an active case in a way because they never found Peter's body. So get out there and have a look. <laughs> so that's case number one. Want to tell us about Ivan Milat? Is that his name? <laughs> I do. When uh, Greg McLean wrote the script to Wolf Creek, he wanted it to be an Aussie slasher, mm-hmm. but he wasn't totally happy with it. Right. Because he thought that it was just a little boring to have this guy come and just kill people. And he wanted the guy to have more depth to him. Yeah, sure. And when he heard about Ivan Milat, he thought that this was perfect. And he mm. kind of rewrote the script to 
base it around that, mm-hmm. where the killer is actually just a really helpful, friendly guy mm. who is initially trusted and then turns on you. Because mm. that's actually a lot scarier than some guy who you immediately know is a threat. Exactly. It's this idea that you will be betrayed right. by like someone seemingly being helpful. So I read a book about Milat called Sins of the Brother, the mm-hmm. definitive story of Ivan Milat and the Backpacker Murders, written by Mark Whitaker and Les Kennedy. This book is so interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like it's captivating. <laughs> and having lived in all of these places where it takes place, mm. it's really awesome to read about what they were like back in the 70s and 80s and when it was getting built up mm-hmm. uh, around Sydney. Uh, this takes place in New South Wales. Yeah. So this happened where we lived. Yeah, in Sydney. Yeah, I regret uh, that I didn't start the book early enough to get it finished in time. Same. I'm now addicted to it. Yeah. And one of the places where the family lived was actually very, very near our house. Yeah. One of them is buried in the cemetery just five minutes away from where we lived. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. It was yeah, it was really it's, interesting. It's a fascinating story mm-hmm. and, and quite scary, actually, that... Yep. The only problem I had with this book, and I will tell you what it's about in a minute, but the only problem I had with this book, um, and it's not really a problem for me as such, but for somebody reading it who's not familiar with these places Mm. or with uh, the Australian lingo, Mm. this is a very, very Australian book. (laughs) It is. I know. He uses, like, Australian colloquialisms. Like, even I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't heard that phrase used in years. Yeah. That is the only mm-hmm. issue I have with it. Um, that that's... might be why we had so much trouble getting a copy of it. Because mm-hmm. we had to buy it from an Australian website. Yeah. Ivan Milat was born in 1944. Uh, he was the son of a Croatian immigrant, Stephen Marco Milat, and an Australian woman who grew up in Granville, which is just near where our house was. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name is Margaret Milat. Uh, over many, many years, this mm. couple had 14 children, mm. most of them boys. <laughs> so many. Yeah. And at one point... Um, the father, Stephen, finally gets a TV and said, if we had had this, we wouldn't have had this many kids. Yeah, totally. This family was very poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen worked all day and all night. Um, he worked out on the docks and he did a lot of like grueling manual labor. Mm-hmm. I found it really interesting that he started out living in places like the Rocks mm. and uh, North Sydney. Yeah. Because these places now would be worth millions if not billions yeah he talks about his place in the rocks in particular as like one of the least desirable places in sydney to live at the time yeah which blew my mind yeah yeah (laughs) um and they moved further out west Mm -hmm. for work later on in life um they all grew up in a one-room house with a dirt floor and they were very very close all Mm. the brothers would do anything for each other Mm -hmm. they also turned to crime (laughs) when they were young they just did Simple things like robbing neighbors and... Mm-hmm. Uh, they stole uh, the, his boss's guns at one point. Yeah, and... they robbed a bank. Yeah. Um, they were always in trouble, but they always backed each other up. So if the cops came around, they would always... Like, one of them would take the fall and say he acted alone. Mm-hmm. It was no one else. Um, Ivan had some problems with some of the brothers at some points where he stole their girlfriends yep. uh, quite often. Um, but everyone always said that Ivan was very, very likable. He's a top bloke. Right. <laughs> um, I guess it's fairly well known, I think, and understood that his niece is actually his daughter. Is that right? His brother Boris's 
daughter actually, is actually his kid? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and his other brother's son is possibly his as well. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, there were there were quite a few children that could belong to him. Okay. As the kids grew older, their dad started drinking. He got, Who can blame him? <laughs> he got very abusive towards the family, and I don't think they grew up in a very loving environment. No, it doesn't sound like it. Um, their mother, Margaret, would do anything for them, but she was pregnant or with a baby at all times. I, she didn't have much time to devote to them. At one point, paralleling the Murdoch case, Ivan was arrested on rape charges. Hmm. He picked up a couple of hitchhikers and brought them to a remote area and told one of them, one of you has to have sex with me now mm-hmm. or I'm going to kill you. And they saw that he had rope and knives in the car. Um, and she said, you, you know, you could just tie us up and leave us and we won't tell anybody. And then finally she said, fine, if, if I have sex with you, will you let us go? So that happened. And... He was very pleasant to them afterwards. Mm. One of them said, I, w- I would like a drink. So he said, okay, I'll, I'll drive you to a, a petrol station nearby. At which point she went inside and said, the man in the car assaulted me. Please mm. call the police. And he was picked up. Later on, there was a trial and she denied ever saying it was rape. Uh, she was heavily medicated at this point and had been to multiple psychiatrists about hmm. the issues she had. Okay, that's so, interesting. Oh, yeah, it was incredible to read the trial when you read her initial account and then just saw her saying you know what no i i did want to sleep with him i i asked for this which makes you wonder was she scared in the first place or was she scared of the trial or was it what, what right yeah, yeah. but I, it was several years later uh backpackers were going missing it was a very popular area for hitchhikers mm-hmm. they would come and stay in king's cross in sydney and then if they wanted to go down to melbourne or over to alice springs they were told the best place to get picked up is over in Liverpool, right? which is south of Sydney. They could get a train out to there because at this point that was kind of where it had been built up to. They would get a train out to Liverpool and then walk out to the Hume Highway, which is the major highway that goes down from Sydney to Canberra. They would wait on the highway and somebody would come pick them up. And this was very, very common amongst the backpackers in Australia. Right. And everybody said, it's very safe. It's the best thing you can do in Australia (laughs) because it's the best way to meet them and it's the friendliest country. Mm -hmm. Uh, Generally speaking, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That was until um, 1989 Mm -hmm. when backpackers started going missing. So over the next four years, 1989 to 1993, um, seven backpackers went missing. And... Most of them were last seen in or around King's Cross mm. on their way down to Liverpool. So seven that we know of? Seven that we know of. Right. Seven whose bodies have been found. Mm. Um, that is Caroline Clark and Joanne Walters, who traveled together, mm-hmm. uh, two British girls. Gabor Neugebauer mm-hmm. and Anya Habscheid, mm-hmm. uh, Germans, who were traveling together. Deborah Everest and James Gibson. I believe they were both Australian. Right. Uh, possibly just one of them, um, and Simone Schmidl, hmm. another German. Right. She was traveling alone. She's the only one that we know of. <laughs> that was alone. That was alone. Okay, that's Except for Paul Onions. Right. Uh, he was a backpacker oh. from England. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I know of him. <laughs> He's the only one who got away, and he didn't really think much of it either. So he <laughs> was picked up, uh, same as the rest of them. Uh, he was hitchhiking. Uh, down in Liverpool, got picked up by Ivan, and then 
after about an hour, uh, Ivan kind of turned off to this more remote area mm. and said, I'm going to go grab some tapes out of the back because the radio is broken. Just give me a second. And Onions noticed that there were a bunch of tapes on the floor. Mm. So kind of got a little bit suspicious. Mm -hmm. And when Ivan came back to the door, he had a gun and he said, do you know what this is? This is a robbery. Right. And Onions fled. He had a couple of shots at him, but nothing hit. Lucky. And he flagged down the next car that came by. Mm. Actually, I think he flagged down a couple and nobody stopped. And then finally, he jumped in front of one. And the woman stopped and she said, do not do not get in my car. I, it was her and her sister and three children. Right. And she said, don't get in my car. I have kids. I have kids. But he opened the door and jumped in anyway and said, go. He's got a gun. So she just took off in reverse and drove him to the police station. Wow. Uh, he reported it, but nothing really ever came of it. Mm. He was crucial later on in the mm. trial, but at the time, it was just, uh, yeah, okay, right. we'll we'll see what we can do. Uh, it's not a very built-up area even now. Belangular. Yeah. The Paul Onions case happened just, I think, about 800 meters from Belangular State Forest, mm -hmm. which is between, like, it's on the drive from Sydney to Canberra, so... We've driven by it many, many times, and I had no idea that this took place there. See, I did because as a kid in Australia in, you know, the the 90s, like, like we all knew that this happened. I guess I never really thought about it too much, like, in relation to, to Wolf Creek or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I remember that this happened when I was a kid. Belangolo State Forest, I mean, that's how I know the name of it is because... That's where the dead bodies were. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Like, I, would, I probably wouldn't know the name of it otherwise. It's like, I don't know that it's quite a... Yeah. You know, wouldn't have, wouldn't have caught my attention, I don't think, otherwise. <laughs> uh, the book goes into a lot of detail about people that the family grew up with or worked with. And they weren't very quiet about this kind of thing. Mm. Um, two of the brothers, Ivan included, bought a property down quite close to... Um, Langalow State Forest. Right. Uh, just to shoot, to go shoot kangaroos and mm -hmm. whatever. And they would bring friends down there. Uh, they were pretty vocal about ways that you could kill humans. Right. Um, somebody went to stay with them one time, a friend, and Ivan took out his big hunting knife and noticed that there was blood on it and said, Oh, it's human blood. Mm. I should clean that off. And told somebody else, if you want to incapacitate a victim so you can do whatever you want with them, he said there's a specific spot on the spine where you can just stab them and they can't fight you. This is a way that Malat paralyzed a lot of his victims before he sexually assaulted them right. and then finally killed them. Uh, it's also a method that Mick Taylor uses in the film Wolf Creek. Yeah. He calls it head on a stick. That's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> that would not be a very nice way to go. No, I know. I mm. like... I don't know. I think that's the worst part about it that, you know, that they could have been alive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because if, if I recall, they, I mean, they were all killed in different ways too, right? Like, I mean, well, they were several very, very them, similar, several of them in the same ways, but like there were actually a variety of ways that he killed the people. Like for example, a couple of them were shot and kind of used as target practice. Yeah. So one of them, um, I think it was, yeah. One of them, Caroline Clark, mm. She was found shot 10 times in the head. Uh, mm. But they found that the shots all came from the same place, but entered at a different location. Right. So they would have had to shoot a few times, readjust the head, 
and then shoot oh, again. Oh, right. Bloody hell. Yeah. Right, okay. And then some of the others were stabbed and, and um, mm-hmm. I think was someone strangled as well? Yeah, um, one of them was decapitated. Oh, that's them, right, yeah. A couple of them were strangled. I think uh, a lot of them were missing the, uh, I believe it's the hyoid bone in the spine, which is the bone that kind of gives way when you strangle. Oh, okay. Hmm. And that was frequent in the bodies. Hmm. Uh, some of the ways that they were able to link him to the case hmm. was that the gun had a very specific pattern to it um, where it would make a little crescent moon indent right. uh, on the shell casing. Hmm. And they found that gun buried in the wall of Ivan's house. Mm-hmm. It was it was not a common gun as well. If I Is that right? It was a 22... It was a 22 Ruger. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I don't know anything about guns. I don't know how common that is. Uh, they also found a lot of the victims' camping equipment, T-shirts, necklaces, things that they had on them. Mm. Uh, they found that not only in Ivan's house, but also in his brother Alex's house up north, <laughs> right. uh, in his brother Wally's house, and in his brother Richard's house. All of his guns had been brought to their homes as well. Mm. Now, they were never implicated. Right. But it has been said that it's possible, actually, throughout the whole case, before they had even pinned it on Ivan, mm. um, the detectives believed that it could have been two killers. Right. Um, and like I said, they always took the fall. So Right, so it's possible there was another person It is possible there involved. was a second person. Right. Uh, the thing that led them to believe somebody else could have been there, mm. around the area that somebody shot from at Caroline, there were a lot of cigarette butts. Right. And Ivan was very, very anti-smoking. Huh. Um, even the defense attorney for the Malats came out just in 2015 and said, I believe that the other brothers had something to do with this. And they had previously said, uh, Richard had said to one of his workmates, yeah, they haven't found the Germans yet. Um, before the two German backpackers had been found, before wow. the bodies had been found. Whether or not they were actually present, mm. they did have something to do with it. Or they knew about it. Or they it knew or, about yeah. it. Hmm. And were protecting him. And obviously they were protecting him when he called and said, can I come and leave my stuff at your house? Because <laughs> yeah, right. the police are after me. Hmm. Just a little piece of trivia. The mine that uh, Mick lived in or brought his victims to in Wolf Creek hmm. um, was called Navithalum Mining. Yeah. Which is Ivan Malat backwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Subtle. Yeah. Uh, so he's in jail as well. Right yeah, now, yeah, he is. He's down in Goulburn. Right. He is serving several life sentences <laughs> with no possibility of parole. Yeah, um, good. he has <laughs> he has tried for some retrials. Yeah, uh, and they were all declined. Mm-hmm. Something I did find funny: he has self mutilated in prison in order to get what he wants. Sometimes he cut his finger off with a plastic knife and he mailed it to the high court. <laughs> right. Well, he swallowed some razor blades and staples. Yeah. Um, in 2011. He went on a hunger strike, and he lost 25 kilos so that he could get a PlayStation, which he never got. <laughs> a PlayStation? Yeah. Oh, there has actually been a copycat killer. Right. His great-nephew uh, brought his childhood friend out to the same place, to Belanglo Forest. Right. And murdered him with an axe. Really? Yeah. So maybe Australia is not as, uh, as safe as you think it is. That's probably true. You got to wonder, right? There's like this is two cases, and these are the these are two cases where they they caught the people. I mean, Australia's big, and I mean, 
they never found Falconio's body. Right. And it, it took them a long time to find like all of Malat's victims. And, and, and I know. And it, they were closer to a capital city, right? Yeah, it was uh, 20 or 30 years before they found... Yeah. Before, yeah, everyone was found and he was convicted. So it makes you wonder, like, how many of these cases happen and you don't hear about it because there isn't somebody who a victim who escaped mm. you know if, yeah. if joanne lee's hadn't, hadn't escaped would we even know about this yep yeah the same if if paul onions hadn't exactly hadn't escaped. right he actually at, at the time he had stopped really thinking about it until he read that mm. they had found all the like, bodies he was and back it, in england he was right? back in england and the yeah. news only made it to england because two of the backpackers were british right so he was reading about it and thought that's pretty similar to what Sounds happened like to me maybe i should call yeah. yeah the thing that like really brought him into the case was that they found one of his t-shirts mm. in malat's garage wow so I mean, they don't hit you like guys yeah and don't keep tokens what <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh uh, yeah if you're if you're a murderer don't keep keep mementos and if you're you're a victim or if you're, if you're a victim <laughs> if you're a backpacker don't hitchhike yeah australia it's not just the animals that are trying to kill you <laughs> Well, those are our thoughts on the Wolf Creek series uh, and our investigation into the inspirations behind them. Uh, I found this one particularly interesting. Me too. I, I think both of these cases were were fascinating, and I'm actually I'm going to read more about them even mm-hmm. now. I, I'm going to continue reading the rest of the book. I, I regret that I didn't start that soon enough. Um, and also, there's I mean the the you know Falconio case is ongoing. So keep your ears out for that. I mean, if anything new shows up. I know recently um, 60 Minutes in Australia uh, aired a special um, because Joanna Lees is back in Australia um, and she went back to the spot where it all happened to kind of pay tribute to to Peter. So it's in the news again now. Mm -hmm. So I don't know whether they're still investigating, but still haven't found his body. (laughs) Also, if you have an Australian dictionary, I would really recommend reading Sins of the Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. If you're if you're <laughs> from Australia, it's probably fine. Yep. Like like I said, there's a couple of things in there where I was like, huh, okay, yeah, people don't say that anymore, but mm-hmm. I know what he means. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're from uh, another country, it probably isn't going to mean a lot to you. <laughs> you can you can look it up. Um, I also want to do a little honorable mention. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that this film had enough to it to do a full episode on it but we recently watched hush oh yeah and at first i was a little unsure about how good this was going to be because <laughs> it didn't well we just it was one of those like crappy netflix films that right. we thought like let's watch a, a b horror movie <laughs> but um i think the more i thought about it later the more i liked it it's just a very very simple concept right. where a woman is alone in a house and a man is outside stalking her trying to kill her mm-hmm. so there's really nothing from that angle that's interesting about it except mm-hmm. that she is deaf and a mute so every every time you think like why would you do that or you should do this you have to rethink and be like oh no you wouldn't yeah or like she can't hear and yeah she has to position herself somewhere where she can see everything right. and so it kind of changes the whole and yeah, then it was, i liked it i did too and mm. like any time that she's doing something i'm like why would you do that but she doesn't know how much noise it makes right so i thought that was very interesting so. yeah and he uh he toys with her because he knows that she's deaf and then he makes mistakes because right. he's not thinking that you know she's quite used to getting information from other sources mm-hmm. you know in regards to you know her spatial awareness and stuff like that it's very good yeah thanks for listening to the show uh, if you want to hear more of our stuff you can go to multiplenerdgasm.com 
Uh, we've got the Multiple Nergasm podcast, which I, Dan, and Luke do every week. Uh, we've also got a specials channel. Mm-hmm. Jenna and I will be going to Terracon yep. this weekend. Yep. It's a convention in Rhode Island with a bunch of guests from a lot of slasher films. Yep. Uh, the Cenobites will be there. Yep, Kane Hodder, who was uh, Jason Voorhees in a number of the Friday the 13th films. Yep. I think he was Michael Myers in, in some of the Halloween sequels, too. He's quite famous. Uh, there's Chris Sarandon, who did the voice for Jack in mm-hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas. And Malcolm McDowell! Yeah, and Sid Haig. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people from Rob Zombie films. It should be pretty cool. We'll have an episode about that up there. Mm-hmm. Um, Hopefully we can get some interviews if uh, people are up for it. Yep, that'll be up next week if you go to multiplenerdgasm.com. Mm-hmm. Or if you subscribe to the specials channel on iTunes. Yep. And we've got PAX, uh, PAX East coming up mid-March. Yep. So we'll have uh, hopefully a bunch of content about that. There's so many games mm-hmm. and so many, it's just so much stuff going on. Um, yeah. So we'll have a bunch of stuff for you there. Um, and if you guys have any suggestions for films that you think have a really interesting backstory, please let us know. Yeah. We, uh, we're really interested in digging into some of the the lore behind them. So if you, if you can think of a good one, necronomenom at multiplenerdgasm.com, or you can go to any one of our social media channels and get in touch with us. Uh, if you enjoy this show, a really good way to help support it is to give us a positive rating on iTunes. That'll attract more people and spread the word. We really appreciate it. And we'd like to leave you with a listener question. Have you or would you hitchhike? Let us know. <laughs>